Hey guys, welcome back to episode 3 of Raising Hell. So I'm super excited today to be talking about the topic of mental health. It's one that's very near and dear to my heart, especially with someone who I've known her for probably over a decade. It was really interesting to have her perspective as she is studying to become a social worker so she can see things not just from her own personal stories, but kind of inside looking through the system and through her interactions with people in the system, which I thought was very fascinating. This actually wasn't even planned to be a podcast episode. We were actually having a conversation, um, and then halfway through, I'm like, wow, this is actually good. I feel like people would benefit from hearing some of the things we say, so I hit record, and the rest is history. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. How do you think that you can prevent almost like, you've heard of compassion fatigue, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, people who are overtly empathetic and things like that. In a profession such as social work, you're dealing with people's problems every day because at the end of the day, it's, I kind of, I consider myself a very empathetic and compassionate person. And I'm wondering if I was overexposed to people's problems, because I feel like I I help people as much as I can. But is there a point where you feel like you will reach, like, I don't care about anyone kind of apathy? I don't want to. Yeah. Um, I want to stay grounded in that. I mean, it's a possibility, of course, when you're working in a field for so long and it just becomes your everyday life, it becomes normal. But I think my difference is since I have lived experience with mental health and stuff, yeah. I can, like, understand to a, like, um, kind of more profound level that, like, maybe other people in social work can't, like, what these people are feeling because I've been there. Mm. And so... That's the key. I see, head. yeah. And, like, so when I saw, like, um, my practicum, like, a lot of the social workers were getting, like, really fed up with this girl because she was kind of acting out all the time and, like, and she was, like, really emotional and stuff. And, like, um, they kind of just thought that she was playing up, like, an act to get attention. And, like, uh. and I'm, I think, like, the way I see it is, like, what's so if she's acting like she's trying to get attention there's obviously something a need that she's not getting met Mm. what is that like why is that why are you getting angry at her there's obviously something missing there's another piece here Mm -hmm. you know what I mean um with compassion fatigue though it's like an interesting subject because like when I think about personal life um I think compassion fatigue is like that that concept is interesting because like I feel like as a society we're conditioned to not feel for other people not right. to be compassionate and I agree. then when we do we get a fatigue because we're exhausted yeah we're that's an it. interesting way of thinking about it and I always yeah. used to say that like you know mm-hmm. our neighbor's houses being set on fire sometimes isn't even enough to make us ask yes. sometimes you need to literally set someone's own house on fire to make them care to make them actually care yeah. I can see that people are directly related to me you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying like I feel like connections to people in a way that I'm like oh my god I feel their pain almost if yeah. they're hurting I'm hurting maybe that's what it means to be an empath but I do see people, like you're saying, who are very desensitized to mm-hmm. that. And you mentioned people in social work who are older yeah. being that way. But do you think, I mean, you go to school with people who are 22, 23, like mm-hmm. our generation. Do you even see a discrepancy? In- yeah, I mean, I the way, because, it, like, I only mentioned the older thing because they've been in the profession for so long. that right. You know what I mean? It's a day-to-day. Exposure therapy. Like, exposure, yeah. yeah. But um, the people in my class, I think, like I was saying earlier, like my social work class is divided in half. Like those people that are in social work because maybe they had a really good social worker, they have like lived experience. Like they were in the foster care system. Right. They're indigenous and like experienced oppression. Like they want to help others. Like there's a lot of people like that. And the other half seems like these girls who like didn't want to do nursing. So right. like, it was social work. And like they're just kind of doing it just because you don't need to do math in it, for example. Right. And like a lot of them, I feel like it, it makes me nervous too because like, <laughs> yeah. this is like a really important job and like you can fuck up people's lives. You know what I mean? Right. Like you have a lot of power to fuck up people's lives. Like, and like if you're not taking it seriously and like you just have so much potential to do damage. 
and it has happened a lot in the past and like on your journey like Mm -hmm. in your own personal experience with mental health Mm -hmm. who was it now it doesn't just have to be confined to like doctors or social workers who was it who made the biggest impact on you god um um well I think it's an interesting question I think like I had a I was really lucky when I was a teenager to have a really good social worker and I remember thinking like when I went to go see her like this is the kind of person I wanted to be because it was like no matter what I told her she just understood and she Mm. just always knew like the right thing to say or like the right question to ask that would make me think outside of the box Mm -hmm. and get me out of like you know a rut like a mental rut and I always thought, like, that's such a cool power to have. Like, right. It was almost like a power, you know, like, to yeah. think about things in that way, to think about things in a different way, like, outside of your own perspective. Yeah, because you get so caught up in the moment, caught up in your own drama and feelings that you right. don't see the bigger picture a lot. Mm. And but when you have someone that kind of puts things in perspective, but also, um, I think another person that affected or impacted my mental health is, like, my mom. I mean, she also struggles with Your mom's health. also, like, very attentive in a she, weird way yeah. where... I don't see a lot of parents and I feel bad because I mean, I think a lot of it starts at home because yeah. besides medical interventions, you know, talk therapy is huge. Yeah. Right? And most people just go and they want a therapist who, like you said, they listen yeah. and they hear them yeah. and then they're like, Oh, I understand. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be, I agree with everything you're saying and what you're saying is yeah. correct. It's, Oh my God. Yeah, I get it. Well, the big thing about, so like the big thing that I found out, like a kind of a secret to doing that is like, mm-hmm. no matter whether the situation, like their thoughts are like real or exaggerated or not. Right. It, um, it's still their life. That's, that's their experience. That's yeah. their reality. That's their reality. Exactly. And you yeah. have to take the reality for what it is. Mm. And it's like, it doesn't matter if it's real. It doesn't matter. Like the, the details, you know, that's what they're experiencing. So you have to take it as if it's real and then mm. work on that. I'll tell you something which is interesting. I heard a therapist talk once, mm-hmm. and she said she had this client who used to come into her. Mm-hmm. And when she came in one day, she was talking about how, you know, her husband was cheating on her, mm-hmm. right? And she brought in, like, almost this box of proof and text messages. Oh, shit. And that just how sad it was mm-hmm. that she felt like she had to bring in prove all this herself. evidence and prove herself because that means that almost nobody she encountered actually believed yeah. her. And that really hits home. And it's kind of like what you were saying mm-hmm. where, you know, these people are being denied, like just any sort of acknowledgement that what yeah. they're going through is like a sh- actual, actual struggle. struggle. And also the fact yeah. that instead of letting them experience their own reality mm-hmm. and kind of, I don't know, validating it, they make it seem like there's a reality outside of yours, which is more important. And you have to fix yourself to get on that path. Because if you're not on that path, you're not going to get anywhere productive in your Mm -hmm. life. And that whole productivity quotient really stifles people because then you have a person who has problems, right? And who's who's not doing well. And then you have them completely in their own way of thinking. And now instead of giving them any solutions or way to cope, you're now giving them another additional problem by yes, telling them that, that they, they're not fitting in. They know that they're not fitting in. Yeah. Like, they know there's something going on. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that's something that really is important. Like, because, like, my first encounter with mental health, I guess just, like, the mental health system, I guess, is right. the word, was when I was, like, 14, and I went to the Janeway because I was suicidal. I waited there for eight hours, mm-hmm. and it literally felt like to the doctor, I had to prove myself. Like, yeah, I had to prove how, I've been in those situations. how mentally ill I was in order yeah. to get any real help. It's awful. Like, I, like, and it was just, like, exhausting to, like, have to prove something that I'm feeling so profoundly, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, like, it, obviously they can't see it, but they're not, like, believing you, and, like, as a 14-year-old, that really, like, damaged me and, like, made me feel like I always had to prove, 
you know, how much, how much pain I'm in, like, how much suffering I'm going through, when I don't, you know, I don't need to prove shit to anyone. (laughs) And what often baffles me is, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I've had doctors who had that same, Mm -hmm. who came with that same mindset where it's like, we won't really believe it if there's a physical manifestation of it. Yeah. But what's so funny is, I mean, people preach and go around every day believing in God, right? And they're believing in things that they can't see and the universe and manifesting. And people are so okay with that, right? Mm -hmm. But still, when it comes to mental health, for some reason, they need something physical, whether it's bulimia, whether it's cutting, whether it's like actual evidence. And I'm just like, yeah, it can't exist like your thoughts themselves can't just be no. something that needs to be kind of like whole rewired yeah. yeah that's the whole point is that they don't they're not physically you know and what if you want to stop it do you know what i mean yeah. like what if you're having negative thoughts and you go to someone and you like listen i want to stop this before it gets too far yeah. but then they're like no 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 you know we don't know what to do until it gets too far yeah, that, that <laughs> you know what i mean problem, so it's yeah. kind of like is it me or is it that you have no idea what yes. to do yes. and you don't have knowledge about mental health enough to help me. I had to go around to all the doctors in the province and examine how much they knew about mental health, right? Yeah. And how much, it'd be funny to see how much of what they believe is actually just stigma. I, I probably, I would say probably, like a lot. And like, the, that's a huge issue. Even when they do know about mental health, they see it as a problem to be fixed. They don't see yeah. it as like, this is the a way journey. You, you know, this a is, journey. Yeah. This is the way you are. This is what you're going to deal with in your life. This is the way you're your mind thinks so let's like take that but I also that. think it's a bit of cop-out to be like oh every kid in your generation is dealing with depression everybody's because yeah, that's, that's the flip side right yeah first you say okay it's not a problem then you say everybody has that yeah, problem. yeah so it's like but to a degree I mean a lot of people have struggle and like I think before they just didn't feel the freedom to label it as anything mm. I mean depression when you think about it is a label you don't like need it to experience you don't need a label to experience depression you know what I mean it just validates it in a way like when you get and you can experience stuff. And I don't want to say that to, like, you know, people, like, self-diagnose or whatever. No, but. it's really therapeutic. Like, even sometimes my friends will call me. Like, mm-hmm. I got a call this morning. And they were like, oh, Helena, I really need advice. Yeah. And what I found is I just didn't talk. Like, I just let, yeah, them, talk. let them talk. And they, honestly, they needed their own advice sometimes. Yeah. And that's so interesting because I feel like now, like you're saying with labeling, what a lot of people are doing is they just go straight. It's It's hard, like, just straight to medication. It's yeah. very, like... The conversation is the thing that people are avoiding, but mm-hmm. I feel like the conversation is where the real magic happens. Yeah. Like, and like medication is only supposed to be a starting point. It's not supposed to be the whole thing. You're supposed yeah. to have medication because that only gives you kind of like a bump up so that you can like actually go out and like, you know, seek therapy, seek help, do all this stuff. And for someone craving an authentic connection, just giving mm-hmm. them medication, say being on your way, it's not that almost feels like you're just being told to like get out and like just yeah. you know one it's like a rejection in a yeah, way yeah you're just an yeah you're just like another, another person, number yeah, another number doesn't matter that's the big problem with like the mental health system for one the mental health system is designed in a way where it's not proactive it's like damage control so like, mm. it's like the worst people come to them at the like the worst lowest points in their life and they're doing damage control to help them they're not going to them when they're you know when they get when they get evicted or when they lose their job or you know like mm-hmm. when a loved one dies like they're not being proactive they're... but isn't this a cycle then because yes. when you think about it it's like if I was to approach someone before things got too bad yes and they were to say okay come back when things get more serious like you yeah. often hear doctors say okay come back if your symptoms get worse and that entices them to you basically know what I mean? get yeah worse. and it's like but I feel like 
I'm sitting here feeling like my symptoms are worse enough to warrant something. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So it kind of feeds yeah, back into each other exactly. in a way. And I never thought problem, about that. And the problem also with that is that when someone says, come back to me when it's worse, then you kind of feel enticed in order to get help. I need to like to make it worse. jump off a fucking cliff. Like, you know what you I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, absolutely. So, in order to be taken seriously, like, and I even struggle with that too. Like, I feel like I needed to do like, so, like really like, I really need to let myself spiral in order to get serious help. And, oh, like, I, compl- I completely relate with that. And I feel like a lot of people are in that boat. And, like, that's just not the way it should be. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, like, fucked up. But then I, I think when you have reoccurring bouts, even, of yeah. spiraling when things get really bad, you also have those people saying, oh, not this again. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? So it's like, where is the stigma ending? And what's funny is people talk a lot about resources, right? Like, even with COVID-19 mm-hmm. and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, people are saying where are the hospital beds, you know, where are the, like, we need this, we need that. But when it comes to mental health, a lot of the times too, it's like, you don't have enough resources to have a conversation with someone. Yeah. Really? Like you don't have enough, yeah. like you just can't open your ears enough to hear that they're telling you what's, that's yeah. the number one thing that like good doctors know. It's like people tell you what's wrong with them. Yeah. They're not going to make shit up. Like they're not, you just have to listen. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to listen. And it's just like, sure, have your discernment, but discernment should come when you're giving them like therapeutic strategies yes. and when you're trying to diagnose but like you're telling me that you're so busy that you don't have the time to listen to someone when listening to someone could save someone's life yeah literally save someone's life but I guess you're right it's yeah. only like once you we've if you've had an experience and you've had mental health struggles which is weird because I feel like a lot of the people I know struggled with yeah. mental health issues absolutely but then I, I know a lot of people too have lived in denial yeah. right and say like I've never struggled and no I don't know anybody who struggles that's not but true. it's like do you not know anybody or were you like those people who just saw it and just walked away yeah. and kind of and there's a lot it? of those people yeah like, there's a lot of there's way too many of those people who would rather ignore it and like that's the thing a lot of times it's not even like about you it comes off like it's like about avoiding their own mental health I oh think, I completely agree I created yeah. a podcast right <laughs> yeah. and my second episode I had a friend tell me And she's like, you know, I don't want to listen to your podcast because it's a bit too deep, you know, and it makes me think. And I'd rather things which distract me from my problems. And in my head, I was like, wow, that's an issue. Why do you think you need things which distract you from your problems? And we all need certain pick-me-ups and stuff like that. But it's like, you know, it's okay, right? Like if you Mm -hmm. have an issue to be able to like explore it and that maybe you can find a solution. I think a lot of people are living, you know, they're coping and they're living with the pain and okay lives but you don't have to be in that pain. Like things could be better. That's a huge problem. I think even like on a societal levels that everyone wants to escape their life. They want to escape their oh, own reality. It's about escapism. They can't look in the mirror. No. You know, they want to be on Netflix. They want to be on YouTube, like looking at people they don't even, they barely care about just, yeah. just to not think about themselves. Yeah. yeah. But why that's so scary too is like constantly escaping right and getting outside of yourself that's why people ask the question a lot of times who am I yeah because we spend so much of our life like thinking and analyzing other people but mainly we do that is to distract ourselves from our own problems problems, right people don't see it that way too it just seems like they like or maybe they do on like some kind of subconscious level but that's why I want to that's I think that's the reason I want to have this podcast Mm -hmm. I want to bring these like subconscious dialogues that people have to the conscience to the forefront where you know you don't have to wake up when you're 70 and be like dealing with these problems at that point because it's not a fun place to be especially when you don't have the stamina and you're not physically healthy right like these are hard enough to sort through when you're 22 like they're draining and they're exhausting yeah like there's I'm not saying there are different ways to live but Mm -hmm. I feel like I I'm a person and you're a person we have fun yeah you know Caitlin like we go out we have fun we have friends we play sports we do all these things but then there's this additional that we don't neglect our mental health we pay attention to it yeah right 
And I think the reason maybe we focused to pay attention to it is because we didn't for so long yeah. and then we hit that point, yeah. right? So what people don't realize is just because you have not hit that point mm. does not mean that you're not walking towards it. Yeah. You know and what I'm saying? A lot of people just like love running from their problems, but a lot of, especially our age, but they real they don't like with drugs and with get to a point where they're like, I can't run forever, you know? And mm. I think that you and I have reached that point where like, we can't run from our problems forever. You know, you have to face it eventually. But I think a lot of people are like, maybe I can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's know? what I'm saying. And the realization comes late. And I mm. think drugs and alcohol is this whole other topic. They prolong and this, it. The, yeah, this whole other layer where you know, I've watched a lot of like vice um, interviews and stuff with people who've been addicted to like yeah. lean and cocaine and stuff. Yeah. And they say, you know, they never stop because it feels so good. But in a way, when you're on the drug, it's kind of like you're in your own world, you're yeah. tuned away, you're disconnected from anyone else. And you just, it's like you're mentally shutting down. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, if you are someone who likes functioning in the world and is happy, yeah. why is that such a nice feeling to have yeah. when you're so disconnected from everything yeah like are you not happy yeah normally do you know what I'm saying like it like yeah. how long can you use that yeah and the thing is with with drugs is it that does prolong when people, realizations yeah. yeah like when people are addicted it's like they're stuck in time because mm. in a way because they're not it's hard to watch thinking yeah they're stuck in the way that they are because they're yeah. you know like they're not thinking about their mental health. they're not thinking about anything else except for drugs literally mm. nothing else like, I've worked with addicts, and, like, that's what I find is, like, when they get sober, they're, like, shit, like, you know, like, they have to actually rebuild their life, basically, from the bottom up, and, like, a lot of them have that have been using drugs since teenagers haven't grown since, they're still going through the problems that regular teenagers would go with your identity and stuff. It's almost like their growth was stunted. It was stunted, exactly. That's yeah. exactly what it was. That's a good way to look at it, because I actually, mm-hmm. I met an addict recently, but yeah. I had never seen someone struggle with addiction and be in severe in denial about yeah. it. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, obviously in your line of work, you would meet them quite regularly. Yeah. But I think that also got me interested in, like, the drugs and mental health conversation. Yes. Because it really, it is difficult. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? There's a lot of people, even when the shutdowns of COVID-19 mm-hmm. happened, who were saying, you know, alcohol, like, places like that, which sell cigarettes, that's not an essential service. Yeah. Right? That was a big... The thing is with alcohol, though, a lot of people don't understand is with alcoholics, especially their body literally, like, tunes itself because so it only responds to alcohol. So if you're drinking all day, like... So if you you know, if you stop drinking all of a sudden, you don't lean off, you stop all of a sudden, you're literally, your liver could shut down. You're right. Finished. You could you're die. Hurt. Exactly. Like literally, because, yeah. and like people just don't understand that or maybe they do, but I feel like people don't value addicts as people that are struggling. They value addicts as like, the as delinquents to the society and people Even who are though, causing trouble. And... Yeah. But they're just trying to deal. It's just, they just have a different way of dealing. Like we're all doing shit like that. But what's so funny is know? like, if we're going like, think about it say like I I've never been an addict right mm-hmm. but and I'm not judging addicts at all but I'm saying say I try to go the straight and narrow path by yeah. trying to get help through the medical system yeah. and the medical system keeps letting me down and it keeps failing me yeah what are you gonna right do, yeah. what are you gonna no, it's not that what are you gonna do but self-medicate self-medicate right and it's just like maybe if the problem is is that there's not enough care in health care mm-hmm. and if we brought that back you know maybe people wouldn't have to self-medicate all the time so there's there is a component to it and I'm not completely blaming doctors. I know there's a lot of doctors who are exhausted and you know they're yeah. they're trying their hardest. It's and more systemic than individual It's systemic, doctors. yeah. It's, it's also how people are being trained to be doctors, how they're trained, you know. Oh, that's I really I want to really look like take a like real look at just like the medical system and mm-hmm. curriculum, right? Yeah. And I heard recently they changed like problem-based solving mm-hmm. where it's like scenario-based, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like how much are we going to, if if you're 
the profession, which mm-hmm. is regarded with the highest level of responsibility, yeah. who every day is dealing with people's life or death, yes. right? It's like, you need to know how to deal with people, right? People, yeah. How much of these components are just purely educational? I'm fine with learning theories and stuff yeah. like that, but it's like- People just as important to like have like a good, like what I think they call it in the medical field, bedside manner. Yeah, bedside ma- manner, yeah. right? And it's like this whole like, oh, be charismatic, be able to connect with people. It's huge in the business space. Yeah. It's huge in the entrepreneurial space. It's huge. You know, we talk about it a lot when I went to business school, like how you present yourself, how you're able to make a connection is everything. But I feel like what happens is all my friends who were in sciences in university, mm-hmm. they were just all they cared about. And because how you get into medical school is very much high GPAs, yes. study, study, study all yeah. the time. So what you're doing is you're isolating yourself from people, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So being making connections with other people is not something which is valued yes. going down that path. And it should be, absolutely. It like, absolutely should be. You that's can't what makes be, a good doctor. That's what I'm saying. You can't be isolating students, giving them with so much work. The statistics are against their favor, yeah. stressing them out, you know. And, and they then, have to deal with all the stress and stuff, like living in a capitalist society, you know, like Brent. Um, people, you know, yeah, there's enough stress it as it is. Yeah. And it's just like, then you wonder, like, why yeah. did we, why did we get doctors who are just bookworms and can't deal with people? Yeah. Oh, maybe because the criteria to get in was just to be a bookworm and to limit your time and social interactions dealing with people. But then people will come back and say, well, if you're super organized and, you know, (laughs) you can 20 minutes of socialization here, it's not possible. That's not human. It's not human. (laughs) Yeah, it's inhuman. Yeah, yeah. People just need to focus on being human. And I think, you know, the best thing that you can do is be authentic and be yourself. That's the problem I have with, like, the way business teaches it is that they... You, you are taught to be like like you said like charismatic and stuff but right. you are doing that with a goal in mind like that's what i mean with yeah. the doctor you should be doing that for their sake your goal should be to help them not to like but even in her. business kate like i remember the first two years i literally we would have companies come in right yeah. and company representatives to just come check out the grads and <sighs> all that stuff and they'd say networking events and for two years i literally never talked to anybody like business wise because i'm like ah, oh, it just feels weird i yeah. love talking to people yeah i love having conversations the the security guard at queen's university is still my freaking best friend yeah. right like i'll talk to anybody but to do it for a purpose always made me feel weird it, yeah right? it feels like conniving and like it, yeah it, it just feels weird but i think at the end of the day like i remember i was going home um, to Newfoundland on a plane ride and yeah. I was sitting next to someone and apparently he was the CEO of some big oil company I didn't know that and we ended up talking for like three hours on the right. plane and then he's like hey like I work in New York if you want a job like oh, you shit. have it right yeah. and it's just like what's funny is you go in a roundabout way and you get all these credentials and you mm-hmm. get everything but why I do like business is I feel like every job that I've gotten it wasn't necessarily because of my curriculum vitae. Right. It wasn't because of the extracurriculars. It was because of who Charisma. I was as a person. Yeah. I can't say the same about medicine, right? Mm-hmm. I can't say that they value that as much because mm-hmm. they don't, yeah. right? It's like you have a personality. Okay, if you make it to the interview, mm-hmm. do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Why don't you have the interview before you have the MCAT? Yeah, yeah. Do you know, before you have the... So it's like, you gotta... There has to be a method and there has to be a way. I'm not saying that, you know, I have the qualifications completely... I mean, we obviously don't have the answers, but I think it's important to, to ask, ask the questions, questions yeah. right? And it's just like, there are people who have the answers, even yes. with the whole coronavirus thing. I remember models were only being put out for the next four months. Yeah. And people were like, okay, but what happens after that? Yeah. And then they were putting pressure on people from like public health positions to make more models, right? Mm-hmm. For long-term, because this is a long-term issue, right? Yeah. And people can't shut down the economy me forever so then they're like okay well pressure's being put on us 
and then they came up with models right yeah. so it's like ask the questions yeah put the pressure put on pressure. people and why like someone like you who's in the faculty of social work is because you have eyes that can see things inside of how the system works itself yeah versus me just standing outside maybe being critical the thing with social work that's interesting is that you see you just see so intimately the cracks in the system mm. social workers literally just what their job is our job is literally just to pick up the pieces from where the system fails that's a very nice yeah yeah because analogy. like especially in like um like a like a community organization like I was working at like they deal with people who have been failed by the mental health system they failed by the foster care system like they were incarcerated they come out they have they have no way to get a job no avenue right like, no they've no address to even apply for a job you know mm. like and like there's just so many problems with the system and these people end up like just like it's like their last resort and there's so many I hear that about kids who are even in the foster care yeah. system I don't know if I was Alberta but I heard a story where yeah they get out yeah. They don't know what it takes to be employable or have employable yes. skills. And they're just left there at that age where they don't really know how to fend for themselves. They're like 18. Yeah. yeah and they just, you know what I mean? They're, they're left to figure it out. Imagine being on your own at 18. Like I would fuck on my life yeah. <laughs> so profoundly if I was on my own. When Especially when you didn't have someone like giving you direction or maybe you didn't go through the same schooling system, which yeah. set you up for things. You don't have a solid like figure who's been like inspiring, but who inspires yeah. you, but also like caters to your needs. I mean, Caitlin, stuff. it's hard enough. Like say if someone wants to be like, you know, a politician yeah. or a diplomat. Yeah. Like, if you ask me how do you become a diplomat I don't know like I don't even know with my level of education how to get to ahead yeah. in certain positions right yeah. so how are how are they expected to figure it out it's really it is flawed but I I don't I'm not saying that the that the answer is that you help people and you you kind of baby them and you no. but I don't think age is a good correlation mm of a lot of things yeah. I don't think age is correlated to maturity a no. lot of the times I don't think even when you look at the structure of the brain yeah. right and the prefrontal cortex yeah. and executive functioning if you look at people who have ADHD mm -hmm. right it's like it's not fully developed yeah. until a much later age yeah. right so then you can have someone who's neurotypical at the age of 22 making better more rational decisions inhibiting yeah. you know their impulses but then you can't have a person who may have adhd doing that unmedicated yeah right but the diagnoses have to be made like yeah people have to listen like yeah. that's the first thing man like that's literally the first step like the first step yeah. is there is none of that there's yeah. none of that like i don't feel appreciated i feel like all my doctor does really is just prescription 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 yeah oh you need this yeah. okay sure bye and that's something i hear a lot when people talk about their doctors like pretty much everyone i talk to feels like they have a shitty doctor because like they work in that way they're mm. so like methodical it's like it's like okay listen listen to symptoms like big pharma doctors yeah. yeah give this pill like see you later see you in like x number of weeks yeah it's like <laughs> i could have a i could have a robot doing that. yeah literally you could have a robot and it most, shouldn't be that way but what's funny is how funny is it that you know, now, and not just now during the pandemic, but doctors are starting to be able to prescribe and stuff medicine on the phone. Yeah. And online, right? Yeah. And it's just like... Y'all couldn't how, have done that before. No, but yeah, how sad is that? Yeah. That you can literally do your job over the phone. Mm. What value are you adding yeah. by me coming in and being there then? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there has to be an extra... Yeah. What are you giving me? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> no, it's been interesting. Yeah. For sure. Good talk. I always love talking about mental health. Yeah, me too. I, think I, it's I so mean, important. like, we've always been talking about this. Remember, we started, like, our own mental health committee. Yeah, we've always, we've always been... On this curve. On this curve, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's always been so important. But I think... We've know, obviously grown a lot since then, though. Um, and, like, developed our ideas on... The, I think we had a very simplistic, like, 
I guess, or at least I did, like, a very simplistic, um, ideal of mental health. It was like, yeah. oh, people just need to be more aware, like, and the stigma, you know, like, yeah, and but the it's stigma. so much deeper yeah, yeah. than that. You need to take it a step, couple of steps further and think about what do we actually consider mental illness, like, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. Like, why are these traits bad? Why are certain traits bad and certain traits good? It's because we, as a society, work in living capitalism. We want people to be productive so they can go out and work. Mm-hmm. So they can't be they can't be lazy, they can't be sad, because they have to work. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason why people seem to give a fuck, is because it's like, they don't care about the person, they care about what they can offer. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a huge piece that you and I were missing as a teenager, because obviously you can't really see those structures when you're younger. You see it when you go into the working world, though. You really do. You see, mm-hmm. like, okay, if you're sick, these are the amount of days you're allotted. Yeah. If not, you have copious amounts of HR work to fill out. You know, if you have yeah. a mental health break, not a lot of employers are actually okay with those things, mm-hmm. right? Like, I know one person who worked for Jack Org, right? right. And when yeah, she went yeah. on a break, she went, like, a month or something. She went, They were lenient. Mm-hmm. But how many corporate offices, not if you say much. you're having mental health issues, are going to... And even in, like, universities, the fact that they brought the self-declaration of illness form yeah where you can actually vouch for yourself and say hey i'm not hey i'm sick and for 24 to 48 hours you know not having to hand in assignments or papers Mm -hmm. it's huge Mm -hmm. i mean it's huge it's saying wow if you're sick you're allowed to validate and vouch for yourself your own yeah it's very empowering yeah it's hugely empowering so i'm saying there are things to be made Mm -hmm. and there's there's things to be done but you know what it does it really takes sensitive people to do it yeah and a lot of the time sensitive people get a rep for being weak I would say I'm a pretty sensitive person I don't think I'm weak in the slightest no, right god no no but what happens is I feel like sensitive people it's like I feel like I'm an antenna yeah. right and I'm an antenna which is tuned into like 600 different radio stations yeah okay so sometimes it gets overwhelming mm-hmm. right but what happens is you're able to learn how to deal with there's you're very sensitive to stimulus always firing mm-hmm. But you're actually stronger because of that. Right. And you're actually a person who can come up with these sorts of things, like the self-declaration of illness form. I mean, you take Sobeys, a grocery store, for example. They turn the lights, they dim the lights one day, right? Mm -hmm. And people were being quiet and they were putting certain things away. I said, what's going on? And they said something like, you know, every day, Tuesday around seven, what we do is we dim the lights and we, for people who have any sensory and auditory problems. So they, and in my head, I was like a sensitive, a highly sensitive person must have come up with that Yeah. because who else would, would think, would think of that. Right. So it's like, what happens is we need to give more credence to people who are in touch with their emotions and have that level of emotional intelligence and learn how to start valuing that as much as, you know, people who have high levels of IQ yeah. and high Q to IQ to an variant is genetic in yeah. a lot of ways. Right. And IQ is also very like an arbitrary kind of scale of it is. And yeah. we shouldn't worry about IQ. Let's talk mm-hmm. about competency. If I'm competent enough to do my job, mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, emotionally available and accessible and sensitive to people's needs, then that is someone in my eyes who should be promoted. I agree. Like, I I think when I think about this, this is reminding me, for example, of Bernie Sanders, someone who really genuinely cares about people and listens to people. And like, he's a highly sensitive person. He wants to make people's lives better. Mm -hmm. And I think the issue why, like, why he didn't get the primaries, why he like isn't up for like, you know, running for president anymore is because he's sensitive and he's not cutthroat. He's, you know what I mean? He's not going to like do shady business, like, you know, like, um, work with like big pharma and stuff he's not make gonna, fun of people he's not make people. fun of people he's not power hungry right he wants to genuinely help people yeah and people see that as a weakness 
And that's the thing. It, it shouldn't be. And mm-hmm. even if you look at the workplace and the hierarchies, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a lot of kids graduate from Queen's Commerce and yeah. they go into Wall Street. <sighs> you know, people who are making, you know, 100000 mm-hmm. 150000 And, you know, even when I got opportunities, I turned them you down. You could have done that, yeah. I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I turned them down. But the reason I turned them down was because I don't want to make that much money. I, like, didn't want to make that much money at that age, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't because I felt like I wanted some sort of structure mm-hmm. where I felt like I wasn't just given a bunch of responsibility and money, which I wasn't ready for, yeah. right? right? Because what happens is if I'm not responsible myself or I can make decisions for myself, then if I'm making decisions which affect other people's lives, yeah. I need to make sure I have a certain level of competency. Yes. And I don't wait for, like, businesses and people who are hiring to say, Helena, you're competent. Because yeah. I know myself better yeah. than you. And this isn't a dig to myself saying I'm no. not competent. It's just saying like, You're young. not only that, I valued things yeah. other than the things that the company valued, yeah. right? And it was important that, you know, maybe I have the qualities which would make me a good worker, mm-hmm. but I don't just want to be a worker. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want to be able to contribute more I feel like meaningful more meaningful work I think my personality I think I could be in a place where you need more highly sensitive people I think in medicine we need more highly sensitive people you know I had a friend shout out Victoria Jackman (laughs) just got into medical school right yeah and you know I the everyone I knew so far who'd gone into medical school seemed like very just about the grades kind of like you know Mm. narrowed focus very competitive over aggressive and when she got in, I remember having like a sigh of relief saying, yeah. okay, wow, yeah. I feel a bit better that someone like who, her, who's so compassionate, empathetic, yeah. and sensitive is going to go out there and be a doctor. And I want her to be my doctor yes. and she's going to help so many people. Yeah. And then that kind of restored a bit of my faith in the system. And when people's faith shake in a system, you need to start because systems are made up of people, mm-hmm. right? So people who are like that need to be more highly represented right? And you even see like Mindy Kaling made a new TV show with like an Indian girl on it, right? Yeah. And now it's like, okay, when I was growing up, Indian girls weren't the mainstream sought after girl in like a romantic sense or in any sense. We maybe were like the stereotyped character on the side or the nerdy bookworm, but we weren't that desirable sought after chick, right? And it's just like, you need representation like that, Yeah. right? It's, It's essential. And people are realizing that the world's becoming so multicultural. Like mm. babies these days, they're all going to be brown. You're, yeah. not gonna, you're not, you're not going to be able to be like, where Good. are you from? Like, <laughs> you know, what are you? Like, Good. these questions are going to become less and less valuable. They should be. I don't know. I don't understand when people feel the need to like, they need to know where you're from. It's like, why do you, why do you care? Like, yeah. Also, like, it's like, I think people, it's funny. It's people are just so out of date and able to like relate to people that they need to desperately search for similarities. Yeah. But it's like, why can't we just be different? Yeah, why can't you be just people? Yeah. Why can't we just vibe and be different? Yeah. And you like let me experience let us things. Vibe, bro. Yeah, let's just experience things. <laughs> yes. That's the best type of friendships, man. Like you just sit there and you like experience the world and you have two different perspectives and yes. it's beautiful because you can share them. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I always love talking to you because we have very two different perspectives, but both of us are kind of deep thinkers, you yeah. know, in a way. So we kind of both can have like a conversation we also kind of agree we have very similar values yeah we just think about things differently Differently. we have very similar values so and I think that's more important and I don't think that's overtly represented in our age group right I think most of the people who are on mainstream media whether it's like YouTube or podcasts 
they're not the deep thinkers, no. right? They're the ones who are creating quick, fun content, posting on TikTok. You know, everything is about views and yeah. likes. And as much as I feel like we've progressed maybe as a society, mm-hmm. it's not what sells. Yeah. It's still not yeah, what's still sexy. What sells. It's still not what gets you money. You it's see still- these, like, like uh, these cycles repeating themselves just on different platforms. Like, when we were a kid, like, you were saying that, like, uh, that girl on TikTok, Addison, people were calling her a whale. I mean, people yeah. were calling, like, Miley Cyrus a whale, like, 10 years ago, 10 years before that, like, uh, yeah. They were like, I don't body know, body shaming, body and all that shaming, stuff. and it's it's the same thing, but it's being re- recycled, recycled. Yeah. But and people don't even realize it, yeah, because they don't have the foresight. And it's like, that, you know? what's so funny is people capitalize on it, yeah. right? People capitalize on oh, being skinny, right? Like Kate Moss, what is it like skinny feels or something oh, yeah, she say? Whatever. And it's like now being Kirby's in, right? Yeah. So it's like, guys, you're just a trend, yeah. Like you know what I'm you're saying? It's like trend. you're like you're capitalizing on this trend, but when are you going to be out of trend? Yeah. And the fact that we're thinking about human beings and their bodies yeah. as trendy yeah, and like, you know up. what I'm saying? Instead of being like, wow, I have a healthy body that takes me from place to place. Yeah. When is that acknowledgement going to happen? Yeah. Like attraction is also multifaceted. Totally. Like people think attraction is purely and solely based on looks. God, no. Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. And it's funny to see all these YouTubers now who like have copious amounts of like beautiful women around them (laughs) you hear them say like at the beginning yeah I was super into just having pretty faces but then I realized oh I want something more Mm -hmm. and I'm sitting back here like really really has this not what I took you that long yeah it took you that long but (laughs) it's fine like you can't rush people's process but I do think like why it's called my podcast is called raising hell because you know if you can't raise consciousness (laughs) at least raise raise some hell yes and then maybe consciousness will raise on its own (laughs) hopefully I don't know. It was nice talking to you. It was nice talking to you too.